at any given moment, every single one of us has the power to choose again. Oftentimes, it's that nasty four-letter word fear that holds us back from making new choices that can put us on a new path in life. Here on the Power to Pivot podcast, I'm talking with others who've made the choice to push fear aside, pivoting in their own lives. You're going to hear from artists, creatives, entrepreneurs, coaches, those with an empowering message to share with the world, and those looking to create positive progress in the world. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miles, founder of March 4th Media Company, and as someone who knows firsthand how strong fear can push us down, I also know that there is always a way back. This is the show to help you do just that, sharing conversations, resources, and fresh ideas that inspire you to choose again, pivot away from fear, and move towards your own goals and dreams for your life, putting you on the path to your own personal freedom. Welcome to the Power to Pivot podcast. Are you ready? It is time to pivot. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me for today's episode of the Power to Pivot podcast. I am joined today by author Catherine Weibel. Catherine, how are you? I am doing well. How about yourself? I am well. Thanks for asking. Um, Thanks for doing the show today. Not a problem. I'm excited to be here. You have several books, um, the Incarn Saga, um, the, the, Am I saying this right? The Jed Chronicles? Yeah, I know. Okay. It's <laughs> um, the Guardian Speaker. So much to unpack here, but tell us kind of how you made your way into writing. Well, I guess for me, I've always felt like I was a storyteller in a sense. I always, um, ever since I was, well, for as long as I can remember, um, created characters, backstories, Um, essentially the worlds and universe they were set in and this was predominantly stemmed from uh, imaginary play with my sister as we grew up but I just loved creating these very rich dimensional um, ecosystems worlds universes multiverses etc so on Um, and so as I grew up I realized I wanted to share some of those stories with other people and what better means to do so than through writing so it kind of was, I think, a path that I was always going to be on no matter what. I love that on your website, you, you say that stories and storytelling pursued you. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't it, think it could escape it. Yeah. I, but I love that you didn't, you, it doesn't seem like you were afraid of it. You were just like, yeah, this is what I do. Like I, you, you very much leaned in and kept leaning into the process. Yes, that's true. And I never knew to what extent that would mean. Would it be I'm a full-time author? Would it mean I would just try to find a way to write and publish, you know, a short story? But as the life goes on, it ended up being on the author route of it, which I thoroughly enjoy. Was there a moment where you were like, no, I can't be an author? Like, I, I feel like for me, um, there were points where I'm like, who the heck am I to be an author? Like I wanted to, I wanted to publish, but like, I don't know, was it like that for you? Did you find, or was just like, no, I'm going to share my, my work. Oh, I was going to, I think I was the opposite where I was always going to share my work, but the struggle was trying to figure out how to do it. And it, I always knew I was going to figure it out at some point, but there was a lot of trial and error 
especially for the first few years with that initial debut book that I was writing, um, Asara's Claws, and trying to figure out how, just how, <laughs> how to do everything. Do I, you know, uh, query? Do I just go straight into indie? Indies, of course, recent years opened up the opportunity for so many authors to have that chance um, at whatever level, be it full-time or as more of a hobby writer, to be able to share their work. So, but Indy's constantly changing too. So there was a lot of trial and error in the beginning, but I always knew I was going to make it to some extent, <laughs> whatever that level was. What was, you know, the most important thought that maybe you had in the back of your mind throughout? Because it is a constantly evolving industry, whether you're traditional or independent. Um, and, and that adds levels and layers of challenge, especially as you're writing multiple books and how does your marketing change and messaging, but was there a driving thought like in the back of your mind that kept you motivated to, to keep moving forward? I don't know. I, it was more like I could go and, well, you learn or you hear these success stories and the question is, what are they doing? that I have not achieved yet? Or what do they know that I need to figure out? And so it was more of a challenge just trying to figure out the questions to ask, because if you don't know what to ask, you don't ask those questions. And I found that the, uh, especially the indie author community is so welcoming and so friendly that if you know what to ask, they'll be here with answers. It was, the problem was more, what do I ask? I had, you know, my eyes were fairly closed of the breadth of work that is entails um, to be an author because you think about it, you're like writing and editing, sure. But as an indie author, you micromanage everything from who designs your covers, do you do it yourself, all your marketing and PR, all your social media, um, formatting your books, et cetera, so on. I mean, it goes pretty in depth if you're doing book trailers, do you wanna learn video? Uh, uh, cinema, cinematography and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot to, that goes into being an indie author, which I was completely oblivious to when I was starting out. So let's talk about that for a minute, right? Like what were some of those questions that you realized you should be asking, but you weren't? Um, I guess, well, one thing I like to tell people when they ask me um, if there's any advice, I would say, start building your um, online platform immediately. And I know I came across or I heard that early on, but I didn't really get it. And of course that it, your platform being your newsletter um, subscribers and any of your social media. And I don't know, I think I was so hesitant because I felt like I needed to have published works before I could even go and reach out and say, hey, look, I'm an author. And realizing that's not the case, you can reach out while you're going through your writing process, it also can help you motivate and keep keep a pace with um, your planned, you know, dates of release and everything. And when you're building this excitement before you release a book, you can get a lot of followers that way. And so by the time you release or publish your works, you have readers waiting. And I wish I knew that from the get-go, but I had no idea. And so I started off publishing and then a it was probably the year after I published when I realized I need to do something because people aren't just going to find me you know browsing uh the Amazon catalog and it's interesting that you say that right because we're we're published and we sell our work on Amazon but Amazon's not a bookstore it's a very different experience than walking into a Barnes and Noble or you know 
you know, your neighborhood bookstore, um, that makes it challenging. I think it's a new opportunity to learn and discover, but I had to make that shift in my own mindset, right? Like Amazon's not a bookstore. Amazon's a search engine. Amazon is, is different. And so the process of how to, how do people find you in the sea of Amazon that it is, um, it, it can be overwhelming, but it's just part of the process, right? It is. And that, I guess there's that benefit and curse of the ease quote unquote ease, <laughs> respectively, of self-publishing, it's because there are now so many people that do it, that it floods the system and you everybody's trying to figure out how they can be discovered um, early as early as possible when you have not necessarily competition, but there's just so much else going on that it's, uh, it's hard to catch the eye of a potential reader. Were there other questions about the process that you felt helpful? Like when you found out, you're like, oh, I should be asking this. I need to discover this. Um, was there anything else that you found important? I mean, for me, I wish I still kind of do. I would, though, um, to have some kind of, I don't know, all-inclusive database. I know there are a lot out there that try, but even still, they are only scratching the surface of what resources there are for authors in all different ways. Again, being it the advertising, marketing side, maybe it's the designer, or how do you do find beta readers or your editors? Um, maybe it's a motivation group to kind of keep you on track. There are so many resources out there. I've always wished that there was just a one-stop shop to uh, find everything because it is still amazing to me that even to date, I think I know pretty much the, what is entailed in it as an indie author. And then I discovered, nope, nope, there's a whole other section that I was just unaware of that uh, I have to now have this new learning curve and adjust. Yeah, it, it's, um, I think you, you mentioned that support, having that support's important. Uh, and even or previously you had mentioned just staying motivated. Um, we don't have, um publicists like we're, we're in a different world i think than traditional publishing um, we're creating our own marketing plan i think it's important to remember that you are starting a business one if you're looking to mm -hmm. sell your work um and you you do juggle so many hats because you're writing it doesn't stop there now you have to plan for the editing process and developing and changing then you have the art for the cover um, but that, and I made this mistake too, when my first book came out, I was like, oh, wait, now people have to find it. <laughs> um, and you're now an entrepreneur. You, you're not a, you are a writer and you're an author, but now you're a business owner and that's mm -hmm. a completely different hat. Yes. And, you know, trying to, again, I mean, I have an LLC. I always advise authors to make it, make sure it is a true business. Keep, you know, keep those records and treat it like any other business. But um, yeah, it's it's very unexpected when you go into the concept of, I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to spend my days creating characters, coming up with plot. And then you realize after the fact, no, that's only a part of <laughs> being a writer, and at least in today's um, circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us, you know, a little bit about what we will find in your writing like what what are your books about what kind of worlds have you created 
Well, I love, I've always been inspired by old mythology and I have bookshelves dedicated on um, ancient epics and the sagas, Icelandic sagas and all that source material that most modern mythologies and ancient mythologies stem from. So all my writing, I am a high fantasy author. Um, my, I write in different age brackets. My young adult series is more of an adventure fantasy, um, a little more on the lighthearted side. And my new adult and adult series, they kind of delve more into the dark fantasy, a little more of grim reality sometimes of the world. But I do like to take concepts uh, full from characters, not really characters, but um, creatures and entities from old myth and bring them to a modern viewer. Maybe they're characters that you've never heard before. Maybe it's a twist on something that you've read about in another book, but I love pulling out different uh, mythos and entities from all sorts of uh, world mythology. Did you have a favorite mythology character like that you've always been kind of attracted to? Um, was there one or two that you feel you gained some inspiration by? Well, I, it may be a basic to many people's minds, but I have always had a huge love and fascination to dragons from all across the world because they are dragon-like entities in uh, pretty much most continents and most uh, mythos. There's something that could be qualified as akin to what we perceive as a dragon. So I always love dragon lore. And I'm finally able with my young adult series to kind of dabble with some of that. But um, I also have a very um, extreme interest in uh, Nordic mythology. So that Viking era culture and my adult series, The Guardian Speaker is actually exclusively based in and around um, Norse mythos. So uh, readers will get to experience the nine realms that exist in and around Yggdrasil, the cosmic world tree and see a lot of characters, entities from that mythos, most of them are starting off on the obscure route before I kind of take you to the Loki and the Odin and what everybody's expecting when you say Norse mythology. That's actually towards the end of the series. Nice. So where can we find your work? I am on, well, right now I am exclusively through Amazon and that is there's a always a debate with authors. Do you go wide? Do you just go Amazon only? Right now I'm Amazon only. But uh, you can find my books in Kindle, paperbacks. We'll soon start re-releasing hardbacks. And hopefully by towards the end of the year, you'll see my first audiobook. So I'm trying to touch the gamut on um, all the different formats of books that people enjoy. Nice. What keeps you motivated? And what keeps you inspired? Because I feel like, and, and I, I don't write fiction, right? I'm more nonfiction. So this, this may be wrong for me to say, and, um, but does the process ever deplete you? Like, especially when you get more and more into the books, is there ever a point where you feel depleted and how do you overcome that? Um, I'm, a, I'm one of those people who I always am developing characters and stories. So the problem is I can't keep up, <laughs> I can't keep up <laughs> with the ideas that are in my head. So I have a very large, uh, uh, backlist of ideas for our future stories, characters, and series. And I do enjoy writing um, bigger books and longer, I'm moving into longer and longer series. But for me, it's when I'm writing in a series, moving from the first book to any subsequent ones, there's always that initial few chapters when you're 
I'm writing maybe book two or, or it could be book eight, but um, where you know there's going to be a bunch of people reading who have read book one, but you also know you have to introduce characters in a way that if someone randomly grabs book eight, they are kind of caught up, they kind of understand characters, and it's that redundancy where I'm trying to avoid that for me kind of bogs me down because I have to explain it carefully enough where I don't bore my previous readers, but can catch someone up pretty quickly if someone just randomly picks up, you know, the eighth book or the fifth book. Does that add another layer of challenge? I, I do think so, because I always am trying to just make sure I'm not uh, plagiarizing myself sometimes. Right, so, right. You know, the descriptors and the setting the stage again and again, that's always kind of the hardest thing. So um, in editing and writing, I think the, the for what I've um, come to realize is the first few chapters are some of the hardest just because I have to just make sure everybody is caught up and not bored if they've read others. And then the final chapters obviously have to be amazing because you want to make sure um, you keep those readers interested to continuing the series and enjoying it going on. I find it fascinating um, that you have written for multiple ages. Was yeah, that's, that's a, that can be a problem. So I will <laughs> Was there was that planned or did that happen by accident? Well, I just, I'm one of those authors who the story kind of tells itself through me. So depending on the story and I, the age of the characters and what they're going to deal with, I kind of already know um, what age bracket to set it in. Um, but initially, again, going back way back in the day when I was coming up with all these characters and backstories and wanted to share it in the world, I knew that was going to be a young adult series since I perceived it when I was young and I wanted the character to age up as a teen and go through that process. So I knew I was going to hit the young adult um, thing. I didn't realize when I started off that I would also write darker books, but as I got into writing, I also realized I do enjoy the dark fantasy and kind of sometimes a little more the grim or bleak outlook on the world on occasion. It's not all like that, but I did want to make sure I reached um, older audiences because that is something I think other people enjoy if you're in that dark fantasy niche. I think what I love too is that you you don't seem afraid to play with the work. You know, there's you cover multiple age brackets, but also you, as you said, like you go from the more of the lighthearted to the dark, um, putting new twists on characters and themes. And I love that you have this sense of just openness to the process and creativity, and you're not afraid to play in the work. Well, thank you. No, I, I enjoy that as well. The problem, I think I'm coming up recently, again, going with the two different age brackets and I'm releasing multiple series, well, two series simultaneously. So depending on what day of the week and which book I'm working on, I have to like reset my brain. Okay, this is this character and we're in dealing with these worlds, not this character who's dealing with this kind of life problem. <laughs> do you have like a ritual or like, how do you keep yourself in the right realm, so to speak? I, I do kind of have, I guess, a ritual, as you would say, in the sense that my, in the mornings are typically the times when I write the best new material. So depending on whatever book I'm working for the first draft, you know, I can 
get in my head, sit down, start off the day that way. When it comes to the afternoons, that's when I, I deal with whatever is the most important thing, be it editing a different book or the marketing and all that kind of stuff. But it's the switch over from morning to afternoon when I have to like be, okay, I just got uh, the draft back from my editor and now I have to go through her edits, but we're dealing with the same character I'm working with in the morning, but four books earlier. So we're, wh <laughs> what does she know right now? Where are we in this storyline? So that, that does sometimes have to have a little bit of a setup and um, a moment of processing where I have to get back in the mindset of whatever work is directly in front of me. So you mention on your website that you also do uh, reverse glass paintings um, using recycled windows from Hurricane Katrina. Yeah, I, I had lived in New Orleans for about eight years up until recently, so I was enjoying the window paintings that I got from there. But yes, I do. I am also a reverse glass painter where I uh, feature predominantly animals. I do a lot of pet portraiture. And um, when I was living in New Orleans, I also incorporated a lot of local themes that way, be it the bead trees. Uh, right now it's Mardi Gras there. So there was, you know, my, my dog would pop up a lot in these big windows. She would be wearing masks for Mardi Gras or enjoying a crawfish boil or something like that. But yeah, that is, I'm a definitely artistic person in different ways. <laughs> what is reverse glass? Like, I, I'm not familiar with that term. Okay, well, reverse glass, it's a little hard to think about because it literally is backwards. Um, what I do is I use the panel of glass as my canvas, and I paint in layers, starting with whatever the foregrounds are the closest details. Maybe it's a shine in the eye, or if I'm doing a dog, um, you know, the little shine on the nose and you work back in layers and until you complete the background. And only when the paint's dry, do you flip it around and see the final work. So I'm painting a mirror image the whole time. Oh, okay. That sounds interesting. <laughs> it's different. It is a different method, but um, I enjoy it. And it's a fun little challenge. And it's again, a way to force myself to step out of my writing worlds and do something a little different. But- uh, That's so cool. Um, now, do you have commissions, you know, that are available? Like, is that another avenue um, that people can connect with you and, and explore your work? Yes, I actually, um, I have an Etsy uh, shop where people can commission me to do, usually it's predominantly it's pet portraiture, but, um, you know, any kind of animal-based portraiture I I take on there and as well as in that Etsy shop if people ever want a personalized and signed paperback and soon to be print I sell them through that way as well because sometimes people like personalized copies of books nice um what do you think comes next for you I am always working on multiple projects so I, I can foresee myself continuing on my author and artist journey for a while yet um I am I have published six full lengths and on Friday, well, from recording date, I will have five novellas released. And, but I have probably as many as, probably twice as much um, unpublished manuscripts in different stages for the different series. Oh, ready and down the pike. Some are with my editor, some are first draft, et cetera, so on but I, I can foresee myself writing for a, a long time yet. 
what what is it with the animals like you you mentioned on your website and you talk have talked about here like th there's you've always had this connection to the animal realm um do you have have you thought about that like what was it that attracted you to animals specifically and then to include them in your work i don't know exactly what necessarily attracted me to animals but i've always grown up uh, with pets and then um, living in a rural area I had contact with a lot of the livestock kind of species and growing up i was able to meet a few people who were wildlife rehabilitators and so in high school when i became of age I got permitted and so I did a lot of wildlife rehabilitation and I you know interned at zoos and worked with exotics. I just have a passion of working in and around with animals. So the painting of them on the art side or incorporating them in various means in my writing just came natural. I mean, my first series, the Incarn Saga, it's all about shifters. So and people turning into animals and using some of the background I have because I have a degree in psychology with the emphasis animal behavior it was kind of fun to incorporate animal psychology into some of my characters because my main character is not human she is a tiger shifter so that was a lot of fun but all my series be it my adult novella series my main character speaks and talks with everyone's what they call fulgier in Norse mythology and that's your animal shaped guardian spirit so she gets to see what everyone else's guardian animal looks like and communicates with them. Um, so I just love incorporating animals in my stories. I love it, I love it. So walk us through real quick before we wrap up, right? So the guardian speaker, the Jed Chronicles and the Incarn Saga, I wanna make sure we, we talk real quick about each of those and just kind of pinpoint what we're gonna find. Um, First of all, I want to point out too that I love the runes on the Guardian speaker covers. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but walk us through each series real quick and kind of what age group each one's for. Okay, well, I'll, I'll age it up, let's say. Yep, perfect. Um, so one of the series that I'm releasing currently is the Jed Chronicles. This one is um, my young adult adventure fantasy series. It's set in a multiverse that contains 12 planets that um, host or another source of magic. So all entities that use magic exist on those planets. And ever since the dawn of time, there has come um, moments in history where uh, existence is threatened uh, because there has to be a balance maintained with just the general cosmic cosmos. And when the balance is threatened, a prophesized hero, or in this particular case, a heroine arrives to try to um, ensure that life continues on. But in the first book, my main character awakens on a planet that's not Earth. Earth is not a magic planet. She has been unaware of all this existence elsewhere as we would anybody on Earth would probably be. And she is quickly told that she might be this next Jed, this prophesized hero, but she has to go through a testing where she goes and completes a task on each of the 12 worlds. And if she completes it, she is not only accepted as Jed, but that means this great war, this cosmic threat is around the corner and she has to be prepared for what is to come. So that's my young adult series. There are two out currently and hopefully we'll be releasing the third kind of fall of this year. And then my, my debut series is the Incarn Saga. That's four books and it's complete. 
it's set for new adults just because it is a little graphic with some of the violence. It's a war-based shifter fantasy series set in a kingdom where both the humans and which are the ruling class and the shapeshifters, which are the native race, have lived begrudgingly side by side for a few years. And they have to figure out now how to push aside their differences in order to unite and fend off an oncoming um, threat of a kingdom from across the ocean, which is about to uh, siege and lay war or start attacking their kingdom. So that's the second series. And then my final series is The Guardian Speaker. That one I'm also currently releasing. It's the one that's a novella series set for adults. It is the one also set in the Nordic mythos. So it kickstarts with my main character, Leaf. She's the one who can see and talk to everybody's animal spirit, but because no one else has that capability, they have all viewed her as pretty much mad because they see her talking to herself. And so she's pretty much been ostracized by her society. And in the beginning of the first novella, she comes in contact with another person who was brought into her seaside village who has a similar gift. And he also comes with a warning saying that there's a plague affecting humanity. And because of his unique gift, he might be the only one who has a chance of figuring out what's going on and preventing it. The problem is he arrives as a slave and he's not hers to free. Nice. Yeah. Um, can you explain the significance of the runes on the cover? Well, again, um, using Norse mythology, I've, I have shelves all about that, but I wanted to um, incorporate um, the uh, greater Firth Arc, which is the larger alphabet of runes associated at the time. And um, so each novella will actually have a different rune on the cover as they go through. It was just a nice way for me to distinguish each one, but also keep true to the Nordic mythos and the fact that that is their language that they had at the time. Plus the people during that era believed that using runes was a source of magic. So essentially, if you can write and read runes, you can control magic. Mm -hmm. So as a writer, I wanted to kind of put my magic on the cover. I love that. Um, Catherine, thank you so much. Remind us again where we can find your books and where can readers reach out to you? Okay, well, my books are all on Amazon, but you can also find everything about all my book series and my social media and all a bunch of extra stuff on my website. And that's um, Catherine, K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E-Y-Bell, which is W-I's in ink, B-S and boy, E-L-L, books.com, all one word. And you can find connections to pretty much all my media, social media, books that way. You can chat with me there. But I'm on pretty much all social media platforms, the TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, et cetera, so on. You can find me at Catherine E.Y. Bell or Catherine Y. Bell. And again, that's a K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E. Just my parents decided to spell with the A-R. <laughs> I am so excited for you. I, again, just love that you're so in the process. You've, you allow the creativity to just kind of flow out of you. Um, and you're, you just keep exploring new characters and new worlds and like you've, you've created so much and I, I love that you have so much more planned. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, we will make sure that we put all of your links in the show notes. Um, guys, please reach out to her. Um, 
grab a copy of one of the books, get started in her series. Um, there's so much here. There's like literally for everybody, there's something here for you. Uh, and then Catherine, please let us know as more continues to unfold for you. Would love to share it out there and just make sure everybody knows about it. Perfect. Thank you so much. I love being here. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Power to Pivot podcast, guys. Reach out to Catherine and we will see everybody on the next episode. Take care, guys. Hey guys, it's Liz here from March 4th Media Company. And the biggest lesson that I have ever learned is that at any given moment, you can always choose again. And trust me, I learned this lesson the hard way. And I'm inviting you in to join me in my book, This Is Where You Pivot, The Shift From Fear to Freedom, as I'm sharing with you how I arrived at this lesson. I'm opening up about my life, overcoming a toxic and abusive marriage, navigating years of career, health, and family issues that kept me feeling so stuck, lost, and alone, sharing stories through my own trauma that kept me paralyzed in fear for so long. And most importantly, I'm going to show you how I found a way out. You too can find the strength within you to overcome any obstacle in your life. So head on over to amazon.com or find it on thisiswhereyoupivot.com today and order your copy of This Is Where You Pivot, The Shift From Fear to Freedom. Remember, you are never stuck, you are never lost, and you are never alone. At any given moment, you can use your power to pivot, make a new choice, and start again.